Welcome in. This is Weekly Edition. And throughout the tumult we've seen in the United States over the last few weeks, one thing is clear. Substantive changes with how everyday citizens interact with the police are needed. We're happy to be joined by Baron Jones. He's from the ACLU of New Mexico. He's a senior policy strategist there. Baron, thank you for taking the time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's start with uh, what is, for those people that don't know, what is the ACLU? What does the ACLU do? Yes, um, the ACLU, um, the American Civil Liberties Union, is, um, is um, the ACLU of New Mexico is, is an affiliate of the nationwide um, organization, the ACLU. Um, the ACLU was started... Um, nearly 100 years ago or, or a little bit more than 100 years ago in response to the Palmer raise. It was um, um, a similar environment where uh, folks were um, sort of targeted um, because of their, you know, um, th their beliefs, their political beliefs. And the ACLU deals not just with issues of police uh, problems, as we're going to talk about today, but your, your purview is much wider than that, correct? Yes, for sure. Um, yes, we, 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 you know, the ACLU of New Mexico, um, as well as the national organization, we work um, to um, um, champion immigrant rights, reproductive health and justice, as well as police accountability and mass incarceration. Uh, one of the reasons that we originally reached out to you was to talk about mass incarcerations, and we've seen a... I guess, a releasing of prisoners because of COVID-19. And uh, I guess, have we seen a spike in crime? Have we seen that those uh, people being released in the community has created problems? Or have we seen benefits from that? What we have seen is a, a, a slight reduction in the prison and jails populations in an effort to um, help uh, lessen or mitigate the um, spread of um, the deadly COVID-19 virus. Um, I don't think any numbers out there show that there's been an increase um, in any, there's an increase in negative behaviors because of those releases. And in fact, um, in fact, New Mexico is um, far behind the curve when it comes to um, releasing folks um, from our, our, our prisons, especially our prisons, um, when it comes to COVID-19. I think today, um, to, you know, uh, maybe less than 50 people were let out of prison early because of the pandemic. And the ACLU has been a passionate leader about mass incarceration. I guess, what do you mean when you say mass incarceration and uh, what does the ACLU think should be done about it? Well, we, we mean mass incarceration. We, we you know, we're, we're we're referring to the um, to the United States having um, you know uh, approximately two million people behind bars uh, on on any given day. And what we would like to see done about it is that New Mexico um, state government and governments across the the, the nation do more to uh, reduce those prison populations by offering evidence-based alternatives to incarceration that have been known to improve public safety, um, public safety. So, um, so, so mass incarceration, you know, it, 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 it has its um, roots um, 
deep in, in, you know, the war on drugs and other tough on crime policies that many policymakers and, and lawmakers um, are starting to recognize as, um, as, as sort of um, harmful and destructive when it comes, especially when it comes to marginalized communities, black communities and other communities of color. Well, I think that's a perfect lead into what we'd hope to talk about today. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are, are becoming aware of a number of things that of the way people interact with the police that is seems to be coming as kind of a surprise to a lot of people, to a lot of us that have participated with the news for a long time. It's not nearly, I guess, as surprising, although it is still shocking. Um, you'd mentioned marginalized communities and their interaction with police. Um, what do you say to someone who is now just sort of watching the videotape from Minneapolis and feeling outraged, but having a sense that this is just a one-off incident and maybe not um, a systemic problem? Wow. Jared, I have gray hair and I've witnessed two separate police shootings before I was 12 years old. So this problem um, has persisted, you know, all of my life. And it goes back, um, you know, a couple hundred years um, to when policing was first established to track down, you know, runaway slaves. So uh, what we're seeing, um, you know, and, and, and I'm not alone. I'm not alone in that, you know, um, many folks and, 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 and black and brown communities, especially black communities, have seen this sort of unchecked violence um, um, for decades. So, so what's happening is, is nothing new, and it's definitely not a one-off. Um, you know, we we've had similar protests in this nation um, six years ago um, after the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, right? And and so you know, while it brought attention to the the subject then. Today is still the status quo. You know, there's very few um, marked differences between U.S. 2020 and U.S. 2014. So, you know, these problems have been going around forever. Um, so why? And I guess. Um, oh, I'll go ahead. No. So why do you think that the events of Minneapolis have touched on, uh, or I guess, touched the American people in a different way than other? Uh, videos or other stories or other incidents. Uh, you mentioned Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, but we didn't see the widespread civil unrest after that. What what was what's so different now? Well, you know, since the Michael Brown tragedy, we've had several Michael Browns um, um, cases. You know, um, raised to the surface because of um, the prevalence of, of of cell phone videos and things like that. And I think what sort of may have sparked such an outcry um, from the public is that the warning disregard for um, for George Floyd's life. You know, you had two other police officers holding him down, and you had one who was actively trying to block the public from seeing the the tragedy as it unfolds. And I think the I think the public is sick of um seeing um you know black men die at the at the hands of um of, of folks who um um are paid and, and hired to sort of protect those protect folks so it's just a it's, it's it's a culmination of um of um unchecked unchecked violence and brutality that that sort of 
pop folks to take to the streets and 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 and, and out and, and and display um disbelief and outrage over what's going on so i think one sentiment that i've heard from a, a number of different radio stations or different television shows is a feeling of i do agree this is this video is horrible um, I do agree that maybe there's a systemic problem, but it feels too big. What can we do? How do you answer something like that? I suppose, you know, it's up to every incumbent on every one of us to sort of get involved. You know, um, you know, getting involved doesn't necessarily mean um, taking to the streets. It means, you know, um, becoming involved with your local police oversight agency or helping to support. Um, use of force legislation that will um, reshape how um, how and when police officers are allowed to use that um, force. Um, we entrust a, a great deal of responsibility on um, law enforcement officers, including the right to take a life. And 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 as 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 members of the public. We should be doing all that we can to ensure that um, that right is not abused or taken advantage of. You know, uh, we can push for police accountability, um, body worn cameras. You know, things that ensure that um, the folks entrusted to protect us are are, are doing what they are are, 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 um, are entrusted to do. So, as a casual observer of issues like this. I don't feel if as if body cameras has made a difference. Um, I, the, I think the officers involved in Minneapolis didn't have their cameras on. I think there was a dash cam video recently here in New Mexico of a 57-year-old Native American man who was pulled over after being a good Samaritan. But it doesn't seem like the video helps. Um, is, the, is more video actually helping patrol things like this? Um, you know, uh, an officer equipped with body worn camera um, in itself will not, um, you know, will not stop or curb um, violence or police brutality. Um, but what it will do, um, um, what we do know is that when body worn cameras are um, implemented, it's less likely that one, the officer involved would be um, accused of um, committing violence. Violence um, enacted amongst uh, against police officers um, have been um, known to be reduced when um, when cameras are worn. So cameras are just sort of um, they're like a I don't know almost like a I don't know what word I'm looking for like a peacemaker almost, right? You know, um, if, if officers know that they're going to be held accountable, it's less likely that they're going to be engaged in the behavior. And when we see, like, incidents, um, I think it was in, and and recently in Louisville, where, you know, two officers were uh, let go, and the police chief um, is expediting their retirement. Am I right on that? I, I, maybe I'm getting the, the places um conflated but but part of that reasoning was behind the officer's lack of use of body worn camera a lack of uh, turning those cameras on and and correct me if i'm wrong on the locations because there's so much going on i'm getting confused no i know there's a lot of these stories well let me ask you this so body worn cameras we have more officers wearing them it feels though as if convictions for police are almost 
unheard of. That even if we have body camera, and even if we see somebody's brutalized, uh, Minneapolis was maybe the swiftest I've ever seen charges brought to an officer. But even so, it always seems like, um, as we saw with Freddie Gray in Maryland, that um, officers who are charged, officers who do go through the system, still don't end up often being convicted of things. Um, are there resolutions for that? I would say, you know, strong use of force legislation. Um, in, in many instances, um, for for officer not to be convicted, all um, he or she would have to say is that they were in fear for their life, right? You know, um, and, and that's a standard that is hard to um, overcome. So until we implement strong legislation, we're going to uh, continue to see um, officers who are um, charged and not convicted. Um, but but I hold out hope that, that, that someday, especially here in New Mexico, that we will have um, legislation in place that, um, that, that sort of hold, it, hold law enforcement to higher standards than, than many places. And so you mentioned use of force legislation. If somebody's unfamiliar, uh, there's a congressional um, uh, nationally, there's going to be some congressional legislation introduced. Uh, what what do you mean by use of force legislation, and how would it help? Okay, use of force. Use of force. You know, uh, uh, every every police um, agency department in the nation have use of force policies, and those policies policies are put in place to govern when an officer is allowed to use um, force. Um, as I mentioned, um, we entrust um, law enforcement officers with a great deal of uh, power um, and responsibility here in the U.S., including the power to, um, to, to, to take life in certain situations. And use of force policies um, would sort of um, narrow when an officer is allowed to use force. You know, it would um, just raise the standard uh, a little bit and, and move it out of that, um, that blanket response oh, I was in fear for my life, so I shot and killed someone. And they would sort of create a rubric that an officer um, must follow um, before they um, you know, implement force and act force. So it would be more of a national guideline that you, an officer can never do A unless B happens. Yes, yes. Interesting. Well, I guess one question that, that I have is it seems like when someone is complying with a police officer that any use of force is excessive and that the judgment of, I mean, once someone is in handcuffs, it's very difficult to justify any force as not excessive force. Um, I think that's one of the reasons for me anyway, that the video of George Floyd from Minneapolis touched home so much is because he's handcuffed because he's already detained. Yeah, you know, and and I would I would agree, I would agree, you know, um, you know, we I, I'm not sure if it's the warrior mentality. I'm I'm not sure, you know, what goes on in the minds of law enforcement officers when they um, you know, um, feel that it's necessary to necessary to um, brutalize or or continue to restrain a person in handcuffs, but 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 you and I know and and, and folks know um, handcuffs, you know, really limit your your ability to fight back. And so um, I've heard officers uh, uh, explain it away as an adrenaline. But right now, I, I don't think there's any um, there isn't a good reason to use force 
on someone in handcuffs, as you as you mentioned with Mr. George Floyd. So, what has the Supreme Court said about excessive force, um, and how have they viewed this issue traditionally? Another one. I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one. Man. I'm That's sorry. Good. I got no, no, no. I got, so, I got other yeah. stuff. I'm, uh, um, let me do this then. Uh, another solution that we've seen put forward from uh, uh, Julian Castro, I think, was uh, the first person I saw tweet it, where he talked about qualified immunity and getting rid of what's called qualified immunity. Um, can you explain that and explain how it would broadly would help in situations like we have now? Yeah, um, qualified immunity, um, um, eliminating qualified, qualified for those who aren't aware, qualified immunity, um, it, 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 it protects um, law enforcement officials, government officials um, from being sued from, from civil actions um, if, if, an infra- if, a, if an infraction or a um, alleged infraction arises while they're doing their, their duty. And, and qualified immunity, um, many folks in, in the police reform mu- movement see qualified immunity as a as a protection that should be eliminated, um, so law enforcement um, officers can be held accountable um, in state courts, um, which um, these um, alleged acts of um, brutality occur. Uh, and I I think that. One criticism that I've heard people make is that uh, protesters and rioters, they're angry, but they don't come with any real solutions. Um, is that true? I would, Actually, I would push back on that because, I, you know, I, I think they've come with solutions over the years. And the frustration that we see uh, when folks take to the street is those those solutions uh, fall on deaf ears, deaf ears, right? You know, um Black Lives Matter has, you know, been very vocal about what they believe need to uh, be changed to um, ensure the safety of um, um, black folks, people of color, and other uh, folks who are um, often at the brunt of police violence. Um, it's just that those um, those suggestions, those solutions, are, are go um, unrealized and, and, and fall on deaf ears. Um, so I think that um, what we're seeing here today is a reaction to decades and decades of um, of, of police brutality community um, and, 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 and communities across the nation. Uh, one of the suggestions that we've heard from members of Congress as they've started to try to tackle this ongoing policing problem in America is an end to qualified immunity. Can you explain to us what exactly qualified immunity is? Yeah, qualify um, um, immunity is a, a legal doc, doctrine or mechanism um, that allows inside federal law, which shields government officials from being um, held personally liable um, for actions um, taken in the performance of their official capacity, unless um, the actions like violate clearly established federal law. And um, and I think that that is sort of a problem because. What we're seeing here in, in, in the U.S. with um, these po- police brutality cases is that folks, um, officers aren't, aren't, they're not, because of qualified immunity, you know, um, folks on the wrong end of those actions can't sue them. 
right? Okay. So, so, so many advocates believe if if you you know create an avenue for um, folks who believe they're wrong um, to sue police and 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 state courts, it would um, go a long way to um, holding police accountable. So, ending qualified immunity is more about giving an avenue to people to seek justice and create reforms in police because people would have an easier time suing. It's less about uh, some of the other proposals that are like banning chokeholds and talking actually about how the police interact with people. Right. Yeah. You know, I I think, I think um, ending qualified immunity would be twofold. One, it will um, allow um, folks to um, seek redress when they, when they believe they've been wrong um, by police officers, but also it will sort of serve as a um, reminder to law enforcement officials that um, that the public um, entrusts you with um, an immense amount of, um, of power, even the power to take life, and and you must you know exercise your due diligence when um, you know um, exercising that that power and responsibility. One thing that has been clear to me in watching the interactions, I remember the first time I traveled internationally and I saw a police officer at the airport with uh, an AR-15 style weapon. And I remember how sort of taken aback I was when I saw that because I traditionally hadn't seen that. It has become commonplace to see heavy military grade equipment carried by the police. Does the ACLU have a position on that? Yes, you know, um, you know, our, our streets are for you know um, folks and residents. They're not for you know military grade equipment, and um, and we've seen um, with the ten thirty three program um, the influx of military style grade equipment, everything from um, rocket launchers, rocket launchers to um, to I can't even think of the name of those big old Humvees, um, the mine resistant tanks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. No, MRAPs, 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 right? Yeah, everything from MRAPs, and those don't belong on our streets. And there's some um, a very strong um, position of the ACLU of New Mexico and um, and throughout the nation that um, military equipment should be used for military actions, and um, and the the um, militarization of our police forces only exacerbate um, the problems we're seeing in, in, in our communities. So, yeah, we do take a strong position on that, and we believe that um, though that, that equipment would be best for the battlefield and not the streets of Albuquerque. So, um, kind of wrapping it up here, the ACLU also, while supporting the uh, protesters, um, the does the ACLU have a position on the riots and the um, some of the violence that per, that came after protests around the country. What we have seen is the majority of the uh, protests taking place um, throughout the nation um, have been, you know, peaceful. Uh, peaceful. In fact, uh, most of the um, the, the, the violent um, violence have come from police officers who are trying to suppress that um, those protests. I think in the last few days, police officers have been fired in Georgia and Louisville for, for um, you know, I think taking one man's life, um, tasing folks unnecessarily. So, and while the ACLU, we, we don't condone violence um, in any way, uh, we recognize that the uprising, uh, the uprisings we're seeing across the nation are, um, as I mentioned earlier, the result of our nation's inability to um, address the underlying cause of um, racist police brutality. You know, um, in Louisville, 
You know, those folks are taken to the streets because the police, you know, um, kicked in the door of the wrong house and, you know, shot a woman seven, eight times, right? You know, um, so folks are dying, um, um, you know, as a result of uh, police action and, and folks are just really fed up, I suppose. Well, and I, I think you casually mentioned it there. You're referencing Breonna Taylor. Um, while we have seen protests around the country, mostly because of Minneapolis, Louisville, Kentucky is protesting because of a woman named Breonna Taylor who was shot in her home. Uh, the police were using something called a no-knock warrant. Can you explain to me what a no-knock warrant is and where the ACLU stands on it? Yes. A no-knock warrant is um, issued by a judge that allow um, law enforcement, police officers, detectives to enter a property without immediate um, prior notification to the people inside the um, residence. And um, it's the ACLU's position that courts should stop issuing no-knock warrants except in the most extreme cases. Too often, police, you know, use these warrants to burst into the homes of um black and brown people um, unannounced and the results and tragedy like we've seen in Kentucky. And that's not the first um, case of someone losing their life um, on the um, wrong end of a no-knock um, warrant. If Louisville Metro Police hadn't obtained a no-knock warrant, um, Brianna Taylor would have been here to celebrate her 27th birthday. And so we just believe that um, um, we should end the use of these um, dangerous and unfair warrants before more innocent lives are lost yeah so it's literally that the police normally they go bump 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 on the door police open up we have a warrant and in this scenario they don't have to do any of that they can just burst into a citizen's home yes and and and, and usually probably um you know um these are probably usually detectives who are um, serving these warrants so sometimes they're not um dressed in uniform so the person on the on on the inside of the Target residents have no idea um, who's bursting through their door, and that can create um, dangerous, dangerous situations, unnecessarily dangerous situations. Also, um, it's just an extreme um, sort of un unnecessary destruction of property, right? You know, um, you knock on the door of police, you know, um, probably in the case that in Louisville, they probably would have got up and answered the door, right? Because you know, they weren't necessarily doing anything wrong. The ACLU isn't just issues with police, it's First Amendment issues, it's freedom of speech issues, it's freedom of religion issues, uh, Fourth Amendment issues. Uh, if someone wants to get involved with the ACLU New Mexico, what can they do to help out? How can they get involved? Yeah, there, there's myriad ways um, um, someone can get involved with ACLU. You can um, reach out to um, um, me um, and you can find my information on ACLU New Mexico's website. I'm, I'm Aaron Jones, the senior policy strategist, um, but but you can get involved by um, helping us write letters, um, um, helping us lobby for um, use of force legislation um, that we hope to introduce um, during next year's um, 2021 legislative session. Um, you can um, work with um, our, our immigration rights, immigrant rights team to sort of uh, help to um, in the um the 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 abuse of folks um in places like Cibola and Otero there there's quite a bit you can um do to get involved and just feel free to give me a call or you can also go to the ACLU of New Mexico's website 
and um and, and click on the um the get involved volunteer button and 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 they'll take your information the, the, and put your information and they'll pass it along to some of our our field staff who would um will be in touch with you and i guess in closing if you could address people who care about their community who care about the police but don't feel passionate about making a change people that maybe feel like well the video of george floyd touches them in in serious ways but that there's not a real problem that they need to address how would you talk to those people and convince them to get off the bench and participate you know when it comes to police brutality um you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we entrust, um, you know, law enforcement with a great deal of responsibility. And, um, and you know, I would hate to get a phone call um, from the police saying that um, my nephew's life was taken at the hands of police officers. So I, I think it's just incumbent on us as a society to sort of, you know, create the society we want to live in. And... And if George Floyd's um, brutal murder um, it, it doesn't prompt one to change, just I just ask them to um, to think a, a, about their loved one, and if um, and their loved one being on the ground with a 200 plus pound man's knee lodged in their um, throat for nine minutes, and it, it probably would change the equation a little bit. Um, but but folks are folks are dying and, and, and many consider um, the death um, these deaths are, are, are unnecessary. Baron Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to chat with us. Uh, once again, if people wanted to contact the ACLU of New Mexico, how do they do that? Um, they can give us a call at five zero five two six six five nine one five extension ten twenty. Mr. Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us this week. My pleasure, my pleasure.